Do you know what nemesis means? Hello and welcome to Direct, the podcast that takes a direct trajectory through a director's filmography. I'm Eric. I'm Levi. We have a new director. And I always try to make this really suspenseful at the beginning, but the fact of the matter is we put his name in the title and we have his photo on the episode. (laughs) So there's no real reason to sugarcoat it at all. Uh, We put it up to you, the listener, and you, the listener, voted for Wes Anderson as our next direct director. Break out your spats and your vinyl collection. (laughs) You better go thrift shopping because we got... Wes Anderson in his I tweed hope you have a jacket. Nice, a nice, yeah, classic suit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be wearing one for this whole run. Uh, <laughs> it's been nice tailored. I cuffed the pants. I arranged uh, my room tasteful. symmetrically. <laughs> my room is a symmetric uh, cacophony of midnight partridges. And my house is full of friends who I consider to be family. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you feel about this Wes Anderson run? Uh, I'm, I'm interested. I mm-hmm. really enjoy Wes Anderson from a design point of view. Mm-hmm. I, the way that he sets up his environments, his little worlds are all very, they feel theater-esque. Yeah. Uh, architecturally, he picks usually very interesting locations and buildings, and he builds a lot of really fascinating uh, set pieces. Yep. Um, especially like the one that I'll, that I'm really looking forward to seeing again is the boat in, um, Steve life aquatic. Yep. Uh, I really enjoy that. I think that he's can be a bit of a bummer. Why? A bummer. He usually ends on a warm note. I think that he tries to be soulful. I think that that's a, theme that runs throughout his movies obviously another big theme that runs through his movies is um father-son dynamics yeah uh it's pretty big um in his movies Uh, there's a whole movie the darjeeling limited where uh three sons literally and figuratively carry the baggage of their father around india um i mean i'm pretty I, i consider myself fairly well versed in the wes anderson the Wesiverse? Is that a, is that okay? <laughs> the Anderverse. The Anderverse. Um, and it's interesting because we wanted to take a, a step back. So on this podcast, maybe you're a new listener, uh, this podcast we cover one director and we watch all of their movies in sequential order. We do a podcast on each one and then we kind of try to tie them together. That's what we try to do is, is less of a individual uh, review of each movie and more of a review in context to the director's career. Uh, yeah. And and we had some options. You know, we put it up to the listener. We had John Hughes, uh, which... John, I, John Carpenter made a big showing. Right. I'm just going to run through the list here, though. So John Hughes, uh, who was, who was um, somebody that one of our buddies uh, really suggested. I think it would have been an interesting run. Yeah, for sure. Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. She's Having a Baby, Uncle Buck and Curly Sue. The only one I haven't seen of those movies is She's Having a Baby. But it would have been an interesting romp through 80s teenage angst. 
Um, <laughs> and I mean, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a movie that I've seen probably 50 times. I mean, I, that was one of the few movies I had as a kid uh, on VHS. My sister got it for me for like a birthday or Christmas or something. And so That's literally weird. every sick day, I would watch Ferris, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And then you'd go out and participate in a parade. Mm-hmm. It, it's a good, it's a, it's a perfect sick day movie because you can live vicariously through Ferris Bueller when you're sick. I mean, it's a, it's a great, it's a great idea. Uh, our next one we had Rob Reiner, 1984 to 1992. This is also the first time we put it up to time periods, which I think is interesting. Yeah, we had to restrict some, and I think mm-hmm. it helped to. We were picking some of their clear uh, lineages in their work because some people, yeah. Did Tim Burton even make the list in the end? I know that we've talked about him as a timeline because there's a point where his work, we think, really drops off. And so yeah. putting a timeline kind of helps save some of them before they get a little too, I want to say mainstream, but before their work gets a little too gaudy. Well, that it's just we try to really find the sweet spot. And the other thing here is that we don't want to be podcasting for... Uh, you know, a full year on a director, even half <laughs> a year. Director. So we try to get somewhere between like eight to eleven films. I think is like what we're trying to get to. We've done Edgar Wright, who's only directed four, but everybody else that we've watched has, I think, directed around nine movies. So that's kind of our sweet spot. And you know, people always posit to us, they're like, "Hey, do the Coen Brothers, do Steven Spielberg, do Alfred Hitchcock, do Stanley Kubrick." If we were going to do any of those directors, we would have to pick a time period because their filmographies are just too long. Although, I feel like if you if we were to do the Coen brothers, it would be a disservice to not watch every single one of their movies because they are pretty amazing and they don't really have a bad run. <laughs> there's, there's yeah, not- that would be a satisfying... It would be interesting the whole way through. I'd yeah. be willing to make an exception for a run like that. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we're kind of set up for at least our next two directors. Um, so we'll see kind of yep. what, what two, 2017 has in store. Um, so, yeah, we had Rob Reiner, who's had a f- hell of a run, dude, in the 80s, 1984 to 1992. This is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, and A Few Good Men. It's, like, astounding. I think it'd be so awesome to put... This is Spinal Tap, A Few Good Men, when Harry met Sally, like, in context to each other. Like, that's a really interesting run to me. Um, And then he just, like, falls completely off the deep end. If you look at his filmography (laughs) after that, it's like, what? Like, what happened? Um, So Rob Reiner's interesting. We also had Tim Burton up for the vote. Uh, And once again, we did put a time period on this. We did Tim Burton 1985 to 1999 which was the first, I think, like seven or eight movies of his career. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, and Sleepy Hollow. Uh, Made Sleepy Hollow in 99, and then his next movie was Planet of the Apes, the remake. Not the remake remake, the remake that's the... (laughs) The mid-remake. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The remake that didn't have a sequel. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so th- I, that would have been really interesting. I think Tim Burton's also a, um, he's a guy who currently has kind of a bad rap, I think, because he is, he has com- become a bit of a parody of himself, um, with movies like, uh, oh, what was that movie that was like, it was Dark Shadows, I think it was called. Oh, it was, it's based on an old TV show about a vampire family. Yeah. It was based on an old soap opera. 
which was it was a real weird movie and then the Alice in Wonderland movies and you know he's kind of become a caricature of himself um, so I think it'd be interesting to go back and kind of revisit what what made him an awesome director and a notable director to begin with uh, and I also think it'd be cool to watch Batman and Batman Returns <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a while since I've seen the original. It's so easy to go back to Batman Begins now and Dark Knight that yeah. I never, ever make it back. And I think Amazon or HBO right now is streaming a lot of like classic, like the George Clooney Batman. Not classic, but the bad mm-hmm. ones. The bad ones that everybody yeah. went to see anyways. George Clooney was only in one. He was in Batman and Robin. Uh, there was... There was Batman Val and Bat- Kilmer was in there. Mm-hmm. Val Kilmer was in Batman Forever, which was the third one. But that was one with uh, Jim Carrey as the Riddler and Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. That's the thing about those movies. Those are the Joel Schumacher ones. Uh, and they are... I have a special place in my heart for them. Uh, the re- reason being, I was like nine, nine years old and 11 years old when those movies came out. Yeah, so they so, were great. They were great for it's me. Jim man. Carrey, he's so funny. Yeah, dude, Jim One Carrey of them was like, had Arnold as yeah. Mr. Freeze. You had you had Jim Carrey as the Riddler, Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face, and then the subsequent movie you had Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze and Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and all of everybody's still notable. Like everybody. You know, it's 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 just interesting to look back on those because they were really formative for me as a kid because like those were cartoons brought to life, and as a nine year old, I was all in on that stuff. You know, like I remember going to Burger King, and getting the toys, and all that. So <laughs> I actually I have a special place Branding. in my heart for those because they are nothing more than living cartoons for me. Yeah. Um, and then we also had Guy Ritchie up there. Uh, Guy Ritchie was one that I was kind of hoping we could watch because I, I really like his early work. I think Snatch, Snatch is just a, a, a formative movie for me as well because when I was in high school, I watched that movie like so many times. I've, I've, I've definitely seen Snatch more times than I've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> um, you introduced me to that. You got me. And I think Snatch was one of those movies that I started to realize that I don't, had, that the f- movies that are the obvious ones in the theater, I can. There's other stuff to go see. There are other notable right. movies that you can go rent that are not necessarily, you know, made in the states that are from these other directors that are kind of weird. Yeah, but they're really entertaining. Yeah, and like Snatch is still like an era that's really before. Like, it's from an era from before when the internet was really big. Like, Slash Film wasn't around, so, like, you don't really get hear about all those indie titles. Um, and also, there's no video on demand during that period. So, like, we found that on the shelf at Hollywood Video. And <laughs> I just rented it over and over and over again. I thought it was so awesome. Um, so, yeah, we had... Uh, Rick Guy Ritchie on there, Lock, talk, lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch, Swept Away, Revolver, Rock and Roll, Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, and The Man from Uncle. And then he's got a new movie coming out next year about King Arthur that stars Charlie Hunnam as King Arthur. Ooh. <laughs> Does that sound terrible? It sounds awful. <laughs> Who it sounds knows? Really Maybe bad. Charlie Hunnam just needs a 
I don't I don't know what Charlie Lanham needs, but I hope the thing it's that Guy I like Ritchie. About, the thing that I like about the previews, at least, is that you don't have to hear Charlie Hunnam's terrible American accent. <laughs> is His he going to be an American Australian accent. King Arthur? Yeah, is I mean, he? Australian is closer to the British accent than I feel like American is, so... Uh, I don't know. It's just he. It's great to not hear him do that stupid American accent that he does. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, other than Wes Anderson, we had John Carpenter up there. Now, John Carpenter got a lot of love, especially on the forums. And I yeah. know some people are going to be disappointed that we're not doing John Carpenter. There will be some protests. Um, <laughs> there will be some protests. Um, John Carpenter. We did the period of time it was 1974 to 1986. Dark Star, Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween, The the Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, and Big Trouble in Little China. A lot of movies in there that are highly regarded, and I have not seen any of those movies. So that would have been a whole new slate to me. Um, So... John Carpenter will make an appearance again. I will make sure of it. I mm-hmm. at some point want to do John Carpenter. He is so fun. Those movies are all so good. Um, there's a couple in there that I haven't seen, and I'd love to to round it off. But things like Escape from New York is mm-hmm. one of the dumbest, best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Kurt Russell, that's the movie that wins my heart when it comes to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and I can't use any references on you. I would describe it, but it would sound I just you have to see his acting in this movie cuz he it was <laughs> like he went into it thinking I want to choose scenery. Yeah. Like that was his goal for the movie was to really exercise that acting muscle. And he mm-hmm. really he gives it his all. Great actor. That's it. Well, That's you know, I Luke... just wanted to heap some praise on Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. <laughs> well, you know, we got to see some good Kurt Russell in uh, the Quentin Tarantino run. Yeah. Uh, Death Proof and um, The Hateful Eight. Yeah. Both good uh, Kurt Russells. But that's him really acting. Things like Big Trouble in Little China are mm-hmm. a level of acting that I remember watching on TV like... We didn't have cable, so I had to watch everything edited on, like, Channel 11. Right. But it was how I saw these movies, and there was just... Arnold did it, too. Like, his acting has come a long way. There was just something (laughs) about the 80s, like, when you gesticulate that screams, I am trapped in a time that nobody understands. Free us. I just... I love that when we were at Aaron's apartment uh, last month... Um, we were watching Commando. Yeah. Because it was on TV. And I had never seen Commando before. And I'm watching this movie and I'm just like, wait, he's the good guy? He's a great guy. Because he like goes to an army insta- or like an army installation and then goes up to the guard and just straight up murders the guard <laughs> at a U.S. army installation. He snaps he- his neck so he's sleeping. Oh god! I, no, he doesn't snap his neck. <laughs> he grabs his head and slams it. Oh, that's into right. An he I puts beam. him into the concrete. <laughs> yeah, he just slams his head into. It, there's a steel I beam, the pointy part of the steel I beam. 
it's he turns his brain into mashed potatoes and he's just a dude doing his job he's got to go home and he's got his shift is over in like two hours like come on arnold you just didn't get to see how bad the bad guys were one of them was a heavy set freddie mercury wearing a chainmail shirt (laughs) he was really bad so you know arnold was just he had to do what he had to do so you got to take it out on the on the gate guard (laughs) So you could steal a seaplane? I don't get it. <laughs> I can't um, help you. Anyway, I would have loved to see John Carpenter. And uh, like you said, I'm sure he'll be on a future list. Um, but we are watching Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson's uh, filmography here. So we got Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, The Royal Tenenbaums, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, The Darjeeling Limited, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, and The Grand budapest hotel levi have you seen all these movies i've seen everything but bottle rocket so i'm really excited to knock that one off the list right off the bat Mm -hmm. and be right away be a wes anderson aficionado (laughs) have you have you through this whole list i've seen everything except for the fantastic mr fox that's a great i'm really excited to hit that one again Mm -hmm. i only saw that recently and it was really fun it's yeah it's the kind of meticulous that Wes Anderson that you see in all of his movies, but now he's done it on this, you know, frame by frame animated level mm-hmm. that I think just really feeds his his muse, his really really weird muse. By which I mean Jason <laughs> Schwartzman. Yeah, get ready to see yes. a lot of him. Well, and he's. Um... You know, Wes Anderson is very detail-oriented. So anything where he can kind of own every little detail of it is, is I think, when he gets in those opportunities, he does something really beautiful with them. You know, one of the things that I think about are the Grand Budapest Hotel miniatures that were built for the sets. Like, it's so... They're so intricate and so beautiful. Somebody posted a Reddit album of them uh on r slash movies a few days ago and it's just so great to just watch through them and like i kind of miss miniatures in movies and you know they're they're used in a good context here i think because wes anderson is so theatrical we give it a little bit of license you know miniatures are really funny when they're used in things like action or sci-fi movies because they can they can take you out of it i mean but when they're done well, they're done well. The entire Death Star run in the original Star Wars movie is done with miniatures. And you don't think about that for a second. It looks like an awesome space battle. So I really like the use of miniatures and practical uh, practical effects that Wes Anderson uses. And it suits his style really well. When he has those moments that everything he has has a, a flavor to it. I, I mm-hmm. think about like Moonrise Kingdom, the... I'm remembering the costumes from the play that they do. Uh, oh yeah, with the birds, know, or, or like the uniforms that the mm-hmm. the kid wears. Uh, his scout uniform, I think. Yeah, uh, it's been a while, but you know he's able to create these stories, and everything in it is feeding the same theme really well. And Darjeeling yeah. Limited, I, you know, we tease him about spats and his his wool jackets. Um, Mm. But he understands that the, the sensation, the emotion that those things can give off when they're combined into a whole. Yeah. And that's what 
every one of these films the the costuming for Steve Zissou is like everybody's on point. Everybody feels of this time period that is not now, but right. close to. And it, you don't have to know anything about uh, Jacques Cousteau, but you know that he kind of dressed the same. And yeah, and I, I think, and I think that it's that's a good point. I think that Wes Anderson's movies do take place in some kind of timeless time. I, Grand Budapest Hotel, Hotel, I think, is set in a specific era because I think that they refer to some kind... I think it's set during World War One, but I'm not sure. It bounces um, around. I remember yeah. that there are three timelines, and right. he does some things cinematically to convey that. But, like, Steve Zissou is, like, this weird amalgamation of modern times and the 1960s and 70s. And it could take place any time between now and, like, 1968. Um, and there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of different things. You know, like, the Royal Tenenbaums is set, I believe, in modern times, but everybody dresses like it is the 70s. Um, so they, they do have some kind of timeless feel to them, which is interesting. I mean, when I was younger, I was definitely, like, super into Wes Anderson. And I, and I would still consider myself a Wes Anderson fan. Um, but, you know, I was in college when The Life Aquatic came out. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums was really a seminal movie uh, when it came out. Like, it was a movie that everybody was talking about. It was all it was all over MTV when it came out. Like, it was, like, the cool movie. Um, Rushmore, I think, if I had to pick my favorite Wes Anderson movie right now, uh, before watching all of them again, Rushmore is my favorite one. Although the Grand Budapest Hotel is really good as well. The movie that I that left a really bad taste in my mouth and kind of turned me off from Wes Anderson, and this is going to be a very contentious opinion, I'm sure, because a lot of people love this movie, but I hated Moonrise Kingdom. It was definitely... I chalked it up to... That's the only movie I've ever mm-hmm. seen in a movie theater by myself. Okay. Uh, I saw it when we were getting ready to move to Colorado. I flew out to get us an apartment, and it was just me, and I had a bunch of time to kill after getting the apartment, so I went to Moonrise Kingdom by myself. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, the movie feels odd, and I think some of it is just the emotional level of the movie versus the emotional age of the actors. Right. I think there's something... Uh, yeah. developmentally that f- for adults especially you're like ah this feels weird but yeah i'm, I'm interested in seeing it a second time and with Me a too. critical eye and in in context to the other movies yeah you know because it because you have i'm i'm not a big fan of precocious children i a lot of times i i like movies where kids are kids like one of my favorite movies ever of all time is attack the block and one of the reasons why i love that movie is that it's full of like kids who are like 13 to 15 years old and they're trying to act tough and they're trying to, you know, uh, kind of project this image um, that's been kind of dictated to them by their environment. But at the same time, they act like kids. Uh, I don't, I I just, it's one of my things. I I just don't like it in movies when you have like a 12 year old who's the wise sage. Um, Because it just seems like that's the writer trying to, spout philosophy in an interesting way and it just comes across as some kind of mouthpiece for the writer as opposed to something that's servicing the story now it can be done right because i mean i talked about rushmore and 
Rushmore is all about this kid who's like supposed to be way smarter than um than everyone around him. And he is precarious, but he's also annoying and people don't like him because he is that mm-hmm. way. Um which it has parallels to Moonrise Kingdom. I want to see these in context again cuz it was the same type of thing. I felt like Moonrise Kingdom was a little bit of a moment where Wes Anderson became a caricature of himself in the way that Tim Burton currently is perceived to have done. Um, so, but he brought it home because I love Grand Budapest Hotel. I thought that movie was great. Yeah, he brings it around. I agree. Yeah. Uh, it feels more. I don't. It's more. Maybe and maybe it's the age of the film. I don't. That mm. I will always struggle with, and I'm going to struggle with it through this watch through. Yeah. Uh, just that he deals with some emotionally intense stuff. Like, yeah. you know, I, my firm belief is that his movies tell this story of how you choose your family, whether it is your messed up family or it is your close friends that you yeah. really consider to be family. Yep. Um, that's really kind of the core element of a lot of his films is that, you know, family matters most and how you assemble your family is uh, essentially how you inform who you are uh, for good or bad. Um, but that's a really dark well at times. And so watching his movies, I generally struggle just with coming out and, you know, I enjoy things like Dr. Strange where it's like, ha beat the bad guy. Great job, everybody. High fives. That's like, I'm generally an uplifting movie person. Uh, so usually I get, I have to be in a headspace for these kind of films. Huh. And I think that this watch through is going to be, that'll be the challenge will be, okay, I'm going to sit down and watch a movie that has a warm ending, but there's some really heavy stuff kind of around it. It, that's well, how, how the hell did you get through Fincher then? Because Fincher is that way, but with no happy endings. That's a really good point. Yeah. Fincher's the villain wins in every Fincher movie. Yeah, I, I guess it's because Wes Anderson has this storybook quality. Mm, yeah. Maybe it's something about that delivery mechanism where it feels like it's like reading a kid's story and to, you know, you're trying to teach a there are kids books, especially with my baby now, like you read through them. They're trying to teach a lesson and some of them try and teach like, this is how you deal with people dying. Here's a story about a kid losing his dog. Um, yeah. As an adult, you can read that stuff and just be like, Oh, oh. like there's just, yeah. and you're hoping that your kid's picking, your kid just <laughs> enjoys this story about a kid and his dog. And he probably misses the fact that the dog dies at the end. So, Dude, I was I was in Japan and um my wife and I went to this little bar and they they had these books everywhere. They had like kids books, they had like all these books all over the place. Um and it was this cool little bar in uh, Shimokatsuzawa. And I we found this book and it was like it was like this yellow, it looked like a children's book, beautifully hand-drawn book about a dog. So we open it up and we start reading through it and you can kind of see the writings on the wall that like mm-hmm. oh the there's a little girl and there's the dog and the dog's going to die and it's about dealing with death. Twist. Yeah. The little girl dies. No. And then it's about what? it's about the dog being sad. <laughs> that the little girl died and Lydia and I are reading this book in this bar in Japan and we just like start crying. <laughs> We're like reading this stupid kids book. <laughs> um, 
you're, but you're totally right. I think that there might be something a little bit off-putting with this kind of twee uh, aesthetic and some really dark shit running underneath it. Um, you know, and and a lot of you know father stuff. I mean, Rushmore is about a surrogate father figure. Royal Tenenbaums about a father. Uh, Life Aquatic is about a father son relationship. Um, like I said, Darjeeling Limited, like definitely about father. Like so, there's a lot of these like father son dynamics that are explored through this. So I'm interested to see kind of how those play off each other and how maybe the themes are built over time with Wes Anderson. Yeah, I'm also um, want to do some deep diving into like, did he lose? His, did he have a shitty death? <laughs> what inspired? Because this is another director where I he's written all these are all his. Yeah, he writes his writing, right? Yeah, we're getting back to that, which is interesting because that's an interesting point. Because um, for the most part, Guillermo del Toro wrote his scripts, Edgar Wright wrote all his scripts. Obviously, Quentin Tarantino does that. David Fincher didn't write, doesn't write any of his movies. Um, he always has somebody else write the screenplay for his movies. Uh, but Wes Anderson, we're getting back to that singular voice writer director. So. Um, that's definitely something to keep in mind as we watch these. You know, we talked about David Fincher as being the an awesome script picker. Like <laughs> he he knows how to pick the right script, mm-hmm. um, and then play to his strengths with it. And uh, and so it'll be interesting because these this isn't this is a singular voice. This is Wes Anderson projecting the stories that he wants to tell directly onto the screen. And maybe um, that was to Fincher's advantage. You know, mm-hmm. if he, you're not writing these yeah. movies you're not uh, attached to them as such and maybe that's what you know we'll get to moonrise kingdom mm-hmm. or maybe it'll be another movie where it just doesn't stick as well as it did the first time uh, but i think you'd be hard pressed to have uh, wes anderson you know deny that he loves <laughs> doesn't love all of his children equally right. yeah yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a fun ride. Uh, definitely a lighter ride, I would say, than Fincher. Um, and like I said, I might actually get my wife to watch all these movies with me. Um, she's She wasn't super into the idea of watching Fight Club again. <laughs> you know? I, think, I think the only thing I'll get Liz to watch will be Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think the, wow. she's never really... I think Grand Budapest worked for her, but uh-huh. I've shown her like Darjeeling Limited and Life Aquatic, and she was not... The emotional stuff, it's the same thing that I kind of just, you know, I've worked through. She just doesn't, Mm -hmm. that's not what she watches movies for. Yeah, they're both, I mean, yeah, Darjeeling Limited and and Life Aquatic might be his darkest movies. I think Darjeeling Limited is the hardest, and I'm trying to, I don't remember fully the story, but I remember their mom rejects them at some point, and it's just like, ugh, Well, and there's They're they're like doing something kind of goofy, and then like a child dies, and then they have an Indian funeral for him. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Owen Wilson (laughs) calls the kids assholes or something, and then the kids start drowning. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So there's some dark stuff there, um, and we'll pursue it all here on direct. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we have this, and then, um, and then early next year, uh, we don't. I guess we could talk about it now because we talked about it before. Mm-hmm. But after we do Wes Anderson, we're gonna do Nolan, and we're gonna do a lead up to Dunkirk, so that we watch Dunkirk opening yeah. weekend. Yeah, 
So we got a couple like pretty good prolific directors ahead of us, and I'm really interested to take this ride. It's good to be back on the horse, man. Yeah, dog. It's been a while. We took like a month and a half off. Yeah, it was nice to not be like to kind of pick and bounce around for movies, mm-hmm. but I really enjoy being able to go through these. This is it's edu- it's like exercise, you know? It's like it's good yeah. for you. You got to get out and watch these movies just one at a time, just one more. Yeah. I don't know where yeah, I'm just, going with this. And, and put them in context. I I like it. I really do because it helps it helps inform the rest of our watching as well. Like I'm sure that in our conversations about Wes Anderson, we're going to bring in Fincher, we're going to bring in Del Toro, we're going to bring in Wright, and we're going to bring in Tarantino. That's what I love about this is that direct itself has become its own uh, trajectory of through filmography, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And all of our these cinematic experiences that we've created for ourselves have allowed us to become a more informed uh, film-going audience, in, in my opinion. So... I'm excited for it. Uh, and so up next, we got Bottle Rocket, which is uh, Wes Anderson's first film. It stars Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson, who will be oft contributing yeah. to uh, Wes Anderson's work. Does it so, also have the other Owen Wilson? Or the other, not Owen Wilson, the other Wilson? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. There's a third one, and he shows up in Rushmore, and I remember seeing him and going, that guy sounds like Owen Wilson, and mm. it's their other brother. He, did not, there was he was not in so many movies. Out. Andrew Wilson. There he is. Yep, he is in, he is in it. He's future, man. Um, it's all, There's also the short film, Bottle Rocket, which became the full-length feature. Probably worth a watch, if I can find Maybe. it. Maybe. Let's see. It's 13 minutes long. I, there's no reason not to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> no reason. No reason. All right. Well, so we got Bottle Rocket coming up next week. Please stay in touch. Uh, go to forums.baldmove.com. We'll have a forum there for Bottle Rocket. And if you have anything you'd like to email us, uh, email it to us at directpodcast at gmail.com. We're getting yes. back on the horse. It's going to be a very delicately detailed horse um, using vintage <laughs> materials. And uh, and we're going to ride it off into a hand-painted sunset. Yeah, it's going to be great. And if people, if speaking of horses, a little cross-promotion, you should be watching Westworld and listening to Jim and Aaron's Westworld yeah. podcast. It's watching Westworld. Real. The funny, the thing I like best about watching Westworld is that it's longer than an episode of Westworld. <laughs> Sometimes by twice as much. It's great when you've got, when you're at work, for eight hours yep. a day, and I've gotten highly selective with my podcast in my old age. Uh-huh. So it's good <laughs> to have one that I like listening to that can fill a lot of time. Yeah. All righty. So, uh, yeah, listener, please stay in touch. Uh, forums.baldmove.com and directpodcasts at gmail.com. And until next week when we watch Bottle Rocket, I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Cut. <laughs>